0: You're listening
1: to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online. My name is Mark Spagnolo, and I'm the host of the Wood Whisperer Video Podcast.
0: And I'm Matt Vanderlist. I'm the host of Matt's Basement Workshop Podcast, and we're both the hosts of Wood Talk Online. Wood Talk Online is a brand new podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers.
1: That's right. And if you have a question for Matt or myself, feel free to email us at Online. At gmail dot com, so let's get rolling, Matt. What are you uh doing in your shop right now? Well,
0: once I hung the uh, spousal avoidance sign that you suggested last. I mean, you didn't suggest it. You 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 talked about it. I put it over <laughs> my my shop, and I've been locked inside with my uh, raging wife on the outside. Good I'm man. Just good man. Yeah, I'm just kidding, honey. She said she'd actually listen to the show. So that takes Uh us up now to four listeners. Nice! uh, (laughs) 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 No, really, I've been continuing my, uh, kind of my cleanup from the last project I was doing, just getting things sorted out of the way, because now that I'm not working so much on that project, I actually have time to maybe come in and plot out my next project, which I think is actually going to be a, uh, actually, I started this one, but I kind of had to set it aside a little bit. It's a cherry uh, slant front desk for my daughter because okay. basically she's doing all her homework at the dinner table and I'm getting tired of getting notes from the teacher that there's too much pizza stains on it, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff. So I figure she's getting old enough that it's time to start locking her in her room when she's doing her homework. So that's that's pretty much the main thing. Um, nice. Yeah, that's, I think that's that's really about... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than the cleaning, that's about it. Just cleaning.
1: Lots of cleaning.
0: Lots of cleaning. Oh, you know, there's another thing that while we're talking about the shop and cleaning and everything, remember last week we had that email about the uh, pitch remover and all that good stuff for blades and everything?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: And I mentioned that I used a product that makes my eyes burn and my nose itchy and all that good (laughs) stuff, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, I got my products mixed up, so I guess maybe... Who knows, if they were listening to us, the sponsor, they might be a little irritated by this. But actually, <laughs> I, I got the pitch cleaner mixed up with the rust remover. And it turns out it's the rust remover by this particular manufacturer uh, that does the burning of the eyes and everything. The okay, pitch cleaner, so it's,
1: but it's still the BowShield company or whatever that company is? Yep, Bo- yeah, Is Beaushield. it Boeing? Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, BowShield Shield T9 products, gotcha. and uh, you know they, they work great and everything else. But I just want to make sure that everyone understands that for the pitch cleaner, it's really good, but it won't burn your eyes. Still, don't think I would want to have them sprayed in my eyes. But
1: you, you know, know, rust remover—I've—I've I've used that navel jelly stuff for just rehabbing old tools and stuff in the past. And man, that stuff is caustic. I mean, you—you really? you think like furniture stripper is bad. But uh-huh. I, I don't know if the the bow shield rust remover is the same way. But if it's anything like that T nine, uh, or not T nine, the uh, naval jelly stuff. Wow, that stuff just seems like it'll burn a hole through anything. It's crazy. <laughs> stay away. Protect yourself if you're going to use that stuff. It's nasty stuff.
0: Ah, good to know. In fact, I'll write that down right now. Stay away from naval people. I mean, gel.
1: <laughs> yeah. Na- stay away from naval jelly.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway. Keep- Daughters away from naval bases. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: too, marine marine bases too. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, what's going so, on with you and your shop? I mean, uh, that's pretty much I'm done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, a little more active in my shop, but then again, I don't have a real job. I just play in my shop all day. Oh, um, now you're
0: you do have a real job. Don't don't underplay yourself because you're going to undervalue yourself. And like we talked last week, that's not a good thing.
1: I just charge a lot for my hobby is what it comes down to. Okay, I um, understand that. <laughs> but uh, we, we got uh, some progress with the shop upgrade still. I've uh, had all this on the webcam. I don't know what people can see and what they can't, but um, I had the uh, garage doors put in finally uh, in the last two days, which was a nice surprise out of nowhere. Um, so those are in and uh, it actually makes a significant difference in the amount of heat already because I think we're up to like 95, somewhere in the mid-90s today. So it was a pretty good test run. Uh, so pretty happy with that. And um, Nice. Um, yeah, that wasn't too bad. So uh, as far as work though, we're working on finishing up a table mm-hmm. that we refinished, the one that I had the problem with the finish uh, last week. Um, okay. I did want to I did want to mention a couple people emailed me and made a very good point about polyurethane not being suitable to top coat a previous coat of shellac. And I just want to clarify that I was using de-waxed shellac as a sealer and there is a, a key difference there that if you use standard shellac, uh, which does contain wax, you will have adhesion issues with polyurethane. Uh, in general, if you use a de-waxed shellac and I was actually using Bullseye Seal Coat you should not have an adhesion problem and generally I only use like a half pound cut as as a sealer to begin with so there's only a little bit of shellac in there in the first place and I never have a problem with any varnish or polyurethane or even an oil varnish mixture as a top coat on top of that seal coat. So just just to gotcha. clarify there. Um, cool. Uh, the other thing we're working on right now is I've got an interesting commission uh, customer actually asked me if I could make these little rings essentially and I at first didn't know what they were for. She's actually going to use these things for a curtain rod. It must be just a special size rod that she can't find the right type of rings. So I'm making them out of uh, three quarter inch birch plywood that has a a combination MDF and standard ply core. Uh, and I got to make these little five inch rings. There's a five inch inner diameter, six and a half inch outer diameter, going to round them over on all four corners basically make it look like a tube uh, you know like a cylindrical actual um, you know shape. Okay. And uh, it's just production basically i got to make 32 of them and it's uh it's time consuming and it's a real pain in the butt but it's uh, an exercise and create you know creative woodworking
0: no that's when you need to go find yourself an intern who needs credit for school and then you bring <laughs> them in and they're like here you go oh yeah get me some coffee <laughs>
1: you know, and um, i i wish i could be that way i i've talked about that in the past i don't know that i'd be able to ever really have uh uh like a daily sort of employee Okay. I don't I don't know that I'm that type of person like when I'm working for a company and I'm just a manager and I've and the boss I guess of you know two or three people or whatever my team it's a different story because it's not really my money that they're wasting when they goof off. you know. Right. And I, I could correct them and explain, look, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Let's get you know on task here. But if it's in my shop, I'm going to go ballistic. If it's my money that I'm paying them and I find them fooling around, and, and that is not a side of me that I want anyone to have to deal with. So <laughs> I think I've decided to just continue working with my stepdad and, and having him help me out, and I'll do all the woodworking. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, no one needs to see that side of Mark. Um, definitely not.
0: Okay, I, yeah, I can understand that. That's one of the things, you know, i kind of the, the pseudo-supervisor. Actually, I'm the supervisor of one at my day job. And okay. yeah, it's I'm hard on myself all the time, so I can't imagine if I actually had other people with me. That'd be insane.
1: It's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and especially if it's your own business and it's your bottom, bottom line and your money that's going out the window. When someone's fooling around, you're going to think a little bit differently about, <laughs> you know, how that person is spending their time.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing more caught my caught my attention when you were talking about your your shop. You said you are hitting ninety five degree days right now. Uh just about. Yeah, okay. Here in Michigan we just dropped back down into uh snow. In fact there's about two inches of snow outside my house right now. Oh man. Uh, two days ago we were walking around in uh, T shirts and uh well shorts for the very brave at heart. You know, we were hitting up right. a, a very balmy sixty and uh yeah, it's we pretty much Okay, so I'm done. I'll talk to you wow. later.
1: <laughs> Jeez, yeah, let's let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's uh, let's both sit around sixty and be happy with it.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that works. Jeez, so. wow, that's cool. crazy. So, anything else going on?
1: Well, just one last thing. I did want to, you know, common sense. Everybody knows to use, you know, eye protection in the shop, but, um, just had one of those close calls today that reminds you that you kind of need to step it up sometimes and pay attention a little bit more. Um, when I was doing my, uh, flush trim routing for these rings, I had my ear protection on. I had my respirator and sometimes all that gear kind of it inhibits you know basically your your eye protection for the most part cuz you've got stuff around your ears already you're trying to fit the 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 goggles on on top of everything and sometimes they don't sit as close to your face as they should uh-huh. uh, so i was just kind of leaning forward hovered over the the flush trim bit at the router table and i just got a little something you know the, probably just a little fleck of wood in my eye and i blinked a few times and it was out but it just reminded me of how easily stuff can get in your eyes and you think you're safe so you might become a little complacent about you know safety uh, but in reality there's a large gap there if you're not wearing them properly so even though you're wearing your eye protection you're still not doing what you should be doing so just a quick reminder is just you know always double check your setup and make sure am, am i really you know i may be wearing these things but am i physically blocking things <laughs> from being able to get in my eye because that's yeah. I mean that is the point of what you're trying to do. So Yeah,
0: exactly. Are the lenses in my glasses? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's something else. That would be a piece of uh, wood now. So, yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. And and I've heard some nightmare stories, man, and that's that's just nothing to really mess with. So Oh, yeah, so th- definitely. That's that's uh, all I got for me in my shop right now.
0: Cool. Well, that's good. I mean, and good thing you mentioned the safety thing. I think sometimes people, like you said, they really kind of take safety for granted, or at least I think that's where you're kind of going. Yeah, so. you go
1: through the motion sometimes, and you know, and I, I'm obviously guilty of that today because I, I I'm like, okay, I got these things on, and I realized there's a two, you know, they're hovering over my face, and there's a two inch gap between my, you know, under my eye and where this lens is, so mm-hmm. it's just not adequate for the task that I was doing.
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah or bringing the the bit right up near your eyes like, i'm gonna get down just to see if it's actually making contact <laughs>
1: yeah maybe, maybe maybe my posture wasn't exactly right i should have probably uh, stood up a little bit straighter but it's all good <laughs>
0: sweet okay well so i want to
1: jump into some emails or I
0: was, yeah i was just gonna say you know since we put that first episode up apparently some people are listening because we've been getting a lot of email coming in and so we have quite a few emails and of course there's there's so many that i, I think we we would be here for a good couple of hours you know, if we tried yeah. to answer all of them in this one show. And it's kind of funny because I did see – I don't know if you saw a couple of them. Basically, people are like, we'd like you to go on for an hour or more. I that saw that. would be that. great.
1: I saw that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm like, no, that's impossible. That's way – I don't want to do that to people.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing is we won't really set any time frames. I mean, we'll do what seems like a logical good amount of material to cover in one show. And uh, if it lasts 50 minutes, it lasts 50 minutes. And if it's 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes. Um, You know, I don't really think it. I think if we try to plan out the time too much, something's going to get lost in the mix. So we'll just, you know, it'll be what it is.
0: Definitely. Or maybe we can offer subscriptions. And for $20 each per episode, you can listen to the extended version.
1: (laughs) That's a good idea. That's a good money making idea.
0: Yeah. So, uh,
1: but anyways, (laughs) though,
0: (laughs) let's get on with this first one. We received an email from. uh... michael and he had a question about uh... horizontal versus vertical wood storage racks and so i'll go ahead and read this email and we can kind of get into this a little bit uh... great show love the first episode i had a question about wood storage in the shop vertical versus horizontal i've seen pictures of many horizontal racks and so i was designing in my head one for my new shop however reading a shop setup book it mentioned that vertical wood storage is much easier to sort through material Provided you have the height in your shop, eight plus feet. I do have an eight and a half foot, or I do have eight and a half feet, so eight foot boards and plywood sheets fit very nicely. And I can see the benefit from the few pieces of lumber I already have leaning up against the wall. Very easy to sort and pull pieces. My question is with vertical wood storage, do you need to worry about warping since the boards are leaning and only supported at either end, not along the length? And if so, how would you protect against that? Thanks, Mike. Well, Mike, uh, the way in my shop, I, I've shown pictures of this, and I'm sure everybody's seen this. I, I have the vertical storage, and it mainly is because of the fact that my ceilings aren't—they're—they're they're not that tall. In fact, I think down here in the basement, they're only about maybe seven and a half feet, if that. Because I know I can't even put a a full sheet of plywood up, and I would love to be able to, just because of that fact that you've got that—that that storage is a lot easier to kind of thumb through boards, pull them out, and get them out of the way. Mm. But uh, I've noticed that, or I should say, I haven't noticed any problems with warping. When they're vertical, uh, unless of course I've got like a big gap between where my uh, the the actual arms that come out and hold the 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 wood in place, and you know kind of an open system there, because I I like having that extra air circulating around the wood to help it dry. So I don't have to worry about in case there is any moisture it's getting trapped. Blah blah blah. You know, it just kind of helps all around. Right. Um, I've, unfortunately, I haven't had much experience with the horizontal. I don't have, have you had any experience with the horizontal at all? Or
1: uh, yeah, my storage actually is horizontal. Um, okay. Well, with the high ceilings, you're right. If you have eight foot or more, you could store them vertically. But if you have fourteen foot ceilings, sometimes you want to take advantage of that extra height that you have and consider it almost like a second level of space. Uh, so I have my my storage actually starts at about. Seven feet high and goes up to probably about twelve feet, so just a couple feet from the ceiling. Okay, Um, and it's all horizontal. I use uh, the garage uh, garage grade racks that they sell at Lowe's. Okay, Uh, it's like a looks like a hand hammered gray material, but the stuff it actually works really good. I've got the vertical uh, pieces that go into the studs, and then the you know the shelving. I don't even know what these things are called, but the shelving things that come out (laughs) and you lay the wood on top of there. Um, Oh yeah.
0: you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to jump in there because I just realized I got my vertical and my horizontal mixed up. <laughs> uh. I got to keep the horizontal horizon. So yes, I have the horizontal, not the vertical, because nice. uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> can I la- get- can
1: I laugh at you for just a few minutes? I think everybody
0: funny. else is doing it right <laughs> now too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get a dictionary out and start looking up my words before I come on here. <laughs> well,
1: hey, last time I didn't know what MN. Was you know as far as statewide, so uh, I think oh yeah, I took a hit there. Um, but okay, so you you have horizontal storage, and you don't notice any problems with horizontal storage. Exactly.
0: Yes, okay. I, I have no problems with the horizontal. Nor nor problem. should you. Right.
1: Um. I I don't I don't either, and I think horizontal is kind of obvious that you're not going to really see uh, much of an issue, uh, especially if you're working with kiln dried material. There should really be no problem. Um, right. Now I could say. I, I you know have stored stuff vertically my plywood storage is vertical mm-hmm. um, and in the past I have stored my lumber vertically um, but I haven't done it to any length of time that I could say that I from first hand experience can say that it absolutely will not affect the wood at all but what I can say is based on theory and based on Uh, other people's experiences and what I've read if it's kiln dried material um, and you're looking at something that's between 8 and 12% moisture content you should not have a problem storing it vertically Um, Mm -hmm. generally the structure of the wood is already established it's kind of locked in place and I don't know unless you're spanning it across you know Two cinder blocks with the weight in the middle. You know, I don't know if yeah. they're really going to uh, greatly affect the the curvature of of a rough wood like that. So, I would say, you know, if it's kiln dried and you don't have any moisture on your floor that could wick up through the end grain, I think you're you know should be perfectly satisfied storing it vertically. And uh, I think I actually wrote him back uh, before. Excuse my phone if anyone can hear that. Um, I actually uh, wrote him and let him know that one of the coolest storage sheds, wood storage sheds I've ever seen, stored all of their wood vertically. And uh, that was actually David Mark's storage uh, shed. So he's got nice. ni- 90% of his stuff is vertical. And we're talking, you know, I don't know if anyone has ever seen the show. Uh, woodworks and he does a shop tour that that shows some of the stuff that he's got in there and you don't want that stuff to bend <laughs> if you could help yeah. it so um but, but yeah i honestly if it's kiln dried no problems with vertical storage
0: okay yeah cuz actually the the lumber supply i go to i know it's funny cuz they have one room that's all you know they have the warehouse where the uh, the rough lumber is and then they have the sto- the showroom where they have the uh, finished pieces the ones that are already milled and all the uh, pre-milled um the lumber is actually it's all vertical and all the rough is horizontal and it, it's the, the one thing I was thinking also you'd mention the fact that you want to kind of get it up off the ground because that's the one thing that keeps coming up in my mind is especially like in, in my basement it's it's a cement floor I mean most basements are cement floor so therefore it's you know maybe prone to a lot of moisture would you know would could potentially come up in there I mean that's why we use what uh, pressure treated lumber outside when we're putting it on a cement base basically Right. You know, so yeah, that oh, way, that yeah. seems like that'd be the big, the biggest concern. So anyways, though, now that I've got my horizontal out of my vertical, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good to keep those straight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Do you know definitely. which one is a uh, latitude and longitude?
0: Um. Okay, well we're going
1: to move on to the next email now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop quizzing you. Okay, well, we do have another email here. This one okay. is actually a um, little bit of a continuation of what we spoke about last week with woodworking business and selling your materials uh, or, yeah, selling your projects off. Uh, this one comes from Mitch, which rhymes with? Oh hey, hi Mitch Snitch. Um <laughs> I have a question about the business of woodworking. I'm a very new or I'm very new at this, but have identified a group of potential customers, not a given by any means, but good potential. What I'm wondering about is how you and prospective clients arrive at a design for a piece of furniture. I guess it depends on whether the person already knows what kind of piece they want. If they do, then you discuss the wood choices and specific dimensions, etc. But if they don't know exactly what they want, how do you help them narrow it down to something that you know you can make, and number two, you know you can make some money on. I assume that you would show a portfolio and or a sample of your work. Do you also show pictures of furniture from books or magazines in the style thereafter? One thing I was considering was bringing along a drawer from a table. It's small enough. Blah blah blah. blah. This is getting boring. Um, <laughs> basically, t- to quickly answer his question, um, for me, whenever a, a customer approaches me, if they know what they want, if they're coming across and saying, look, I want a wengy cabinet with this design and that design and I've got uh, a couple customers like that. I will help them a little and I'll, I'll steer them in the right direction and guide them but clearly they know what they want and they're kind of a wood connoisseur and they, they like what they like and then they, you know, we have a little bit of a back and forth but they're very specific. Uh, then you've got your other type of customer who just says, oh, I just want this built-in made um, and they're more concerned about how many drawers it has, whether their TV fits in it. Um, they're not as concerned about the wood or the color and and those are the customers that you really have to work with a little bit more uh, to get them to the point that they're very happy with the result and you're happy with it because it's something you can make money on uh, and actually realistically build. So I, I would say with people like that, the first thing I do when someone tells me they want something is I ask them to send me a, uh, a picture of something that looks similar to what they want. Okay. Tell them to, to just search online, go to any furniture website, um, look at the different styles of furniture, find a, a JPEG image of something that looks similar and let's use that as the starting point and we'll modify that design. And That's something that people understand. They, they have trouble starting from scratch, but if they start from a design, they'll be able to modify it to make it exactly what they want and I could build just about anything they find. So we just kind of, I let them know what might cost more, you know, if you want dovetail drawers as opposed to you know, standard drawers made with a couple rabbits and some uh, brad nails. Um, you know, I <laughs> You've been know. seeing my pieces that I've been building
0: lately. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: your, your stuff is better than that. Um, but, you know, there are projects that doing a joint like that is perfectly permissible if you need to save a few bucks and, and save the customer some money. Um, so uh, basically, that's where I start. And I say, okay, what color do you want? And if they say, I want it to be walnut, and then I ask them, do you want to pay for walnut? Or do you want me do you want me to just use alder and make it look like walnut? Um, you have to gauge what they want to do where their priorities are, and you'll know when you get the customer that absolutely wants walnut because they don't want anything but the best so they want the wood to be made out of the wood that has the right color from the start, you'll know that ahead of time. you know you don't need to to push that on them, but generally, I really do try to save people money. I don't try to push them into more expensive things. I just try to make sure that they're completely happy. Uh, with it, and and I don't want to spend too much time because we covered you know a lot of this topic last time, but that's that's usually the two two very broad categories of people that I come across.
0: No, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I've I've come across a few of those. The few commissions that I've done, but yeah, it's the same exact thing. You either pretty much you know following their lead, or like you said, you're kind of like kind of holding their hand and walking them through. So yeah. that's some good points.
1: Uh, the cool. one major piece of advice that I would say uh, that a lot of people get hung up on early on is giving them too many options.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, now, yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, honestly, and that's not to say that they're not capable of making a decision, but sometimes when you give people too many options, they become indecisive and they don't have any idea what they really want to do. So if you say, I can make you 17 different style you know, frame and panel doors. You just need to pick the profile. I mean, that's, you know, intimidating. That's a daunting task for people. So if you narrow it down to the two or three router bits that you own, don't make yourself buy a new router bit. Make a sample and say, here's what the door would look like. Do you like this? And chances are they will, you know? Oh, so, yeah. so try and think of things that you've done, things that you're comfortable with, and offer those as your first suggestions. Don't give them the world as their options. Give them a set amount of options.
0: Yeah, I think I made that mistake. the The very first really kind of, uh, I guess, commission work that I ever did, which was basically a a coffee table and like some end tables, that kind of a thing. And that's more or less exactly what happened. It was like one of those. Well, wouldn't you want to go for this? I mean, I you know, and blah blah blah. And then that ended up like really coming back and biting me in the rear end, basically on that one. It will.
1: It will. And a sort of analogous kind of uh, uh, situation. Have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm drooling now. That, that, that's a yes. <laughs> um. Yeah,
1: think about the Cheesecake Factory menu. I have the hardest damn time picking something to eat off of their menu because they're a Chinese restaurant. They're an Italian restaurant. I mean, they've got just about everything on their menu, and it's so freaking hard to pick something to eat. But when I go to In and Out, I know exactly what I want, and I know it, you know, very quickly, and I'm happy with what I ordered. Um, so sometimes the concept of just too many options, too much choice, is is actually a negative.
0: Absolutely. All right. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on to a, the a new another email, another one that we have here, and this one is from William. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he ended the the email with Bill. Sorry about Bail. that, Bill. And. Uh, says, uh, "Hey, fellas! First off, love both your podcast and this new one. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Duh. Um, my question is this: I've just inherited quite a few antique tools from my grandfather. They were his father's, etc. Some of so, some of them are pretty old, and but still of great quality. Uh, they have all seen better days. Specifically, the hand planes and old saws. What do you recommend to do to bring these things back to life? That is, restore the finish, both steel wood. Uh, while they are heirlooms, I do intend to use them on occasion." Well, Bill, um, since uh, I do a lot of well stuff with the hand planes and everything else, and I've gone out and I'm actually doing a series where I'm talking about going out and getting like a restoration, Sort of putting in my shameless plug. But um, one thing when it comes to the older tools, it sounds like, what I, at least what I'm kind of getting from this email, is that since they, even though they're old, they're still in decent condition. So it doesn't sound like maybe you would have to do too much to them. It might be a matter of... A, you know, a little elbow work or elbow grease, just to kind of clean them up a little bit. Uh, and then the next thing you're going to want to be looking at is if it's anything to do with the the handles themselves. If the handles are in, in disrepair, you know, you might be able to get some replacement ones, especially with the hand planes. There's plenty of manufacturers that have uh, that are making replacement uh, parts for them. There's a quite a few actual. Uh, Websites out there that you can get plenty of spare parts to replace any of the, the broken ones. Uh, it really depends on who the manufacturer is. I'm, I'm willing to bet, it's going to kind of take a gamble here, but i am bet you that most of the hand planes are probably like a Stanley Bailey type hand plane, so therefore there is a ton of parts out there to easily replace them if that's the case. Uh, old saws. Um, I really don't, I haven't done much with actually bringing these back around. Uh, there's a couple of great books out there, and of course they're way over on that shelf, and I can't get to them, but uh, basically <laughs> there's like there's that one that's like sharpening anything and everything. I mean, it has like, not just how to sharpen chisels, but it goes into, you know, plain plain, ugh, plain blades, it goes into like ads, is that how you say it? The A-D-Z-E-S?
1: Yeah, ads.
0: Yeah, froze, I mean, absolutely everything, so when it comes to the actual saws themselves, you can you know learn how to basically bring the edges back around on those. Really, the main thing is, if it, chances are, it's probably the wooden handles. If the handles are really beaten up, you could just simply uh, you know more or less just kind of like either strip it down or just sand it down and start fresh again. That's the nice thing about the the wood. I mean, uh, that that's a good thing to do with it. And basically, just uh, a little TLC is what it really comes down to. It just depends on how much pitting, how much rust you're going to be uh, faced with when it actually gets into there. Well, I was uh, actually
1: just going to ask you if you want to give a quick you 30-40 know, second uh, description of what you do if you do have a rusty plane and you want to lap the sole nice and flat. Just quickly, what do you uh, what do, you yeah, do well, for
0: that? Well, basically, I would use the rust remover that burns my eyes, more or less, if it's really rusted. <laughs> I would go into a very well-ventilated area and do it. But exactly. essentially, that's the main thing. Is you, What you really are going to do is, with with the, the example of the hand plane, you're going to take it apart, and you're going to want to clean everything. And That way, you can really get in there, and you can see if there's any broken parts or anything like that. So once you've got that cleaned up the best you can, and since you're going to be using them, I wouldn't be too worried about the finish coming off or anything like that. Let's, let's get serious. You're going to use them so the finish potentially going to come off anyways. The next thing is when it comes to putting the pieces back together, uh, the, the most important part is paying attention to the sole of the hand plane because with all hand planes, you want that sole to be nice and flat so you would end up doing some lapping, which is as simple as putting down a piece of sandpaper on a very flat surface like you know a cast iron tabletop or something and making several passes back and forth, putting equal pressure on the knob in the front and the, the tote is the handle in the back and pushing down with that and making several passes, and you're just going to flip it over, and you're going to look at the bottom, and you can see the scratch pattern. And essentially, you're on your way to getting the sole completely lapped. Those first few passes will give you an exact idea of how much work you're really going to have to put into it. If it's a lot of work, my suggestion is, thank you, Grandpa, and then maybe put it up on the shelf, <laughs> and <laughs> you'll look elsewhere if you really want
1: to continue with this. Well, they that's, do look I- cool on the wall, though. They do. I like the ones that you have. <laughs> yeah, I've got some old ones that I've I've restored them, and I've tried to use them a couple times, and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm more of a router guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they, they are. I mean, sense. honestly, it's it's a blast uh, restoring some of those things. I mean, if you just uh, set aside a weekend just to have fun with it, um, it actually is kind of fun to do it.
0: Yep. Yeah, have it, you it, ever...
1: Um, I'm sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's really kind of neat when you find like a really old one that looks so rusted and you're like, uh, I don't know, what am I going to do with this? Paperweight, basically? <laughs> and you can actually kind of clean it up a little bit. And then you get it and you're like, I think I could actually use this. Give yeah. it a shot.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you, have you ever tried uh, Japaning techniques to, no. to put that black crap back on the plane?
0: No, no, absolutely. You know, I've thought about that. And uh, actually had an, a an, a question that came in, and that's one of those I can tell you what it is, but I, I've never actually tried it, and I I think it's a it's something I, I'd be interested in, but I'm almost afraid of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you got to bake it and all kinds of other stuff, so I I've always been a little intimidated by it, and figured you know what, uh, black paint from Home Depot works just as well.
0: Oh, you uh, found my secret!
1: <laughs> exactly, black spray enamel pretty much does the job.
0: Exactly, it comes off a little bit. I've got a can in the backyard. We'll just spray it on again.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I don't really have anything to add. I think you uh, adequately covered that topic. Um, okay, well cool. Yeah, definitely recommend that w- doing it. I mean, it's it's fun. It's therapeutic, and uh, you learn a lot about the plane by by doing a restoration on it too. So. Yep.
0: You know, and the one thing is with with the old saws, a lot of times with that. Um, uh, you know, you, you can do what you can to try and bring them around, but unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, older saws have really been misused, unless mm-hmm. it's one that you know for a fact that Craftsman really took care of. Unfortunately, I don't really have much experience with saws. It's something I do eventually want to kind of get into, but at this point, um, I'm not much help on that. So, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 is, it can be a fun weekend yep, kind definitely. of a thing.
1: Cool. Okay, Uh, next email. We got an email from John. Hi, John. Uh, Hi John. John writes, "How do you know when to use a nail or a screw for your project? Uh, then, how do you know how long of a nail or screw to use?" Well, that's kind of, hmm, that's kind of a general question. I would say Definitely. it's very it's subjective. You know, it really depends on the project. Mm-hmm. I would say in general, as few as you can get away with. If you know, I, I try to pride myself on having all wood joinery. Um, I'm not a big brad nailer. I don't. Like repairing little holes, and I certainly don't like seeing little tiny holes with filler in them when I'm done. So when I watch, you know, the the great Norm (laughs) fire away with his Brad nailer, and he goes hog wild on those things. What they don't show, which would be hilarious to watch, is him or whoever he has doing it for him if he's got help filling all the little holes that he just made because they're gonna be there. You just can't see them on you know standard definition PBS TV. Yep. So honestly, if you can just throw a clamp across an area instead of throwing brad nails through the trim and you could just clamp it with glue, you're know you so much better off and you don't have anything to repair later. So anyway, I'm kind of digressing here, but I I don't really use very many screws or nails unless I absolutely have to. Um, How do you know when to use one versus the other? I think the only time I use nails, well, first of all, I don't use... Nails, other than Brad nails or the little 23 gauge pin nails, um, I don't use anything larger than that. Uh, if I use a screw, it's going to be a strategically placed screw that I'm probably going to um, counter bore uh, the hole and pop in, uh, you know, a little dowel on top of it just to hide the screw head. Um, you know length of screw that's really just going to depend on the project itself um you know you want to go far enough in so that it's got a good bite but not so far that you have a chance of penetrating through the other surface absolutely yeah Yeah. um, i don't really know i mean like i said i don't have much to say about it because i don't really use them that often unless it's uh, a necessary evil
0: yeah i I kind of feel the same exact way it's more or less and, and you don't know when you brought up the thing about the uh, having to go through and fill the, I like to call them termite holes, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> you know they're holes. there. And uh, um, I just recently uh, actually uh, got a uh, pin nailer, and so I've had a chance to play with that. And which I, one did I do, you get? Uh, I think it was a, a boss stitch.
1: So okay, that's the right way. Okay, yep.
0: yeah, yeah. My my wife got it for my birthday last year. Yeah, it was last year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I got to use it twice, and then it got dropped. And oh, uh, so then. I had to go into the repair shop, but luckily it was uh, before the warranty was up. So, <laughs> good, good. but I, but I got it back, and I've I've used it several times since then, and I, I really like it. But that's the main thing is once you get past that, like you know the the headless pins and stuff like that. I I hate the the brads when they you know if it's in a location where I'm like, okay, for whatever reason, I feel like I need to reinforce this particular part. I want to hide them as much as I can. So like if I feel like when I'm you know maybe bringing a uh. A, uh, something like I'm going to do some dados or some rabbits or something, and I feel like I need to reinforce where it's coming in. Like, let's say I'm making a, a case or something like that. in the case of Aiden's dresser, and I feel like I needed to reinforce it. I always want to kind of come in from a spot where I know it's going to be hidden just in case there's the oops factor. Right. You know, and especially this is really true when it comes to anything with screws. Like you said, it's kind of like I want to I want to hide them the best I can if I have to use them. I like to use as many things that are wood on wood, I mean, modern day glues are just fantastic. They they hold so much, so much better than they ever did before. Right. So if you are going to use any type of reinforcement, I would I like to keep it in the same, I guess like, um, what's word, like material basically that I'm already working with. So that's why yeah. I use a lot of um glue blocks to help reinforce things. Right. So you know, I, mean, I guess that's kind of getting away from the, the nails and screws, but uh, yeah. And then when it comes to the actual length. I like to use if I have to use uh one of them, I like to use the longest possible but yet, you know, at the same time I wanna make sure that it's not gonna go through the other end, which sometimes um, I <laughs> underestimate the yeah, actual length uh-huh. of that.
1: <laughs> oh, that's never never happened to me ever.
0: Yeah, why is that one pointing through? That's for um, if you want to rest your drink, that will stop it from rolling off the edge. It's a new yep. feature we're including in our tables now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, I guess for fine woodworking, and this may just be my opinion, uh, the the quote unquote finer the woodwork, in my opinion, the less metal should be in the piece. You know, and of course, if you got little cleats that you want to put on, and you shoot a few brads in there, and it just makes sense, and it's it's not seen fine. Um, But for the most part, I think you should try and you know to move away from that stuff as much as possible. Um, You know, with one exception, I know pocket screws are very very popular because they're they're so fast, and you can make a really good solid door you could make a solid you know you could face attach, frame yeah. anything anything and they do have their place and usually they're hidden they're behind the scenes so you really can't see them and, and in that case hey you know if that's what you want to do that's cool um but again i still think well i guess again this is going back to the pricing thing if you're trying to save a customer money it's a lot easier to cut all these you know face frame parts and just put them together with uh you know with with some Pocket screws, or if you're doing uh, some doors, put them together with pocket screws. You could save someone a lot of money that if you were to actually make a full-fledged mortise and tenon for each one of those doors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and I do use pocket screws. I, I won't say quite a bit, but it's it's those those areas that are the hidden. That's the the, the best yeah. part for them. And you know, they're great
1: and too. They're awesome.
0: They are. They really are. They're, they can be very strong. Um, but yeah, it's it's I, I like them hidden because I you know they make those special little plugs that they can put in there. But it's like. Yeah. You know, this is supposed to be a time-saving thing. Well, I was, and... <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say,
1: if you do that, then you may as well just made the damn tenon because you're you're wasting so much time. Exactly. Um, well, let me let me ask you a question. Okay, um, go ahead. The um, I actually just did a lighting upgrade in my shop. Ooh. I, I, yeah, I was curious. Um, what kind? of I lighting can you see have... clearly now. The...
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to throw that in.
1: <laughs> no, that was pretty good. Not too bad. Um, what kind of lighting do you have down in the the dungeon?
0: uh basically i have some uh rather large fluorescent lights um and actually i've been thinking i should do some sort of upgrade too so i kind of want to hear what you did but i more or less have uh let's see one two three four units spaced throughout the uh the area more or less when I we bought the house they're already in place and that was like one of those okay my shop this area right here <laughs> right. you can have the rest of the house but this area is mine nice. and uh i have like essentially uh they like about eight feet in length I think the bulbs are the, the really really big ones okay and um don't ask me why to just can't remember I can barely remember horizontal versus <laughs> vertical <laughs> okay but I have like one that's over where the workbench area is I have another one over where I do most of the machining and then a uh third or third or fourth one are just kind of dispersed in between like where I would do any assembly
1: work good cool okay right. um well what we had obviously we've got you know a, a, a bigger space and when same thing we moved in they had decent lights it looked okay uh, but the more I work in there the more I realize I need a little bit more and I've had some students come in that say it's you know mm-hmm. could be a little bit brighter so I figure you know what let me just you know, let me just switch over, and hopefully, I was I, w- I wanted to find T8 bulbs. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, your standard wide uh, light bulb that you'll see fluorescent light is referred to as a T12 usually. And I'm by no means a light expert. I'm just regurgitating what I have learned in the past few weeks. Um, the T12s are your basic ones that you're going to find probably what you have in your basement, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they work great, and they're cost efficient. They're they're not that expensive to buy. The units themselves, you can get a double. Eight foot, you know, with two bulbs and it's stripped for like 40 bucks at Home Depot. So, um, yeah, reasonably priced. Uh, But you don't necessarily, they're not the best out there. There are other options, and one of those is a T8 bulb. The T8s are about half the size, they're not quite as wide as the uh, T12s, and they actually, from what I understand, have about 20 to 25% more light output per watt so you can get away with using a lot less wattage and getting the same amount of light from it.
0: Oh, nice. T8 25%. T8. Okay. <laughs> now we're going to have a transcript for this, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So the T the T8s they are a little bit pricier um, and the the fixture themselves, the fixtures themselves are actually more pricey too. So um, I think what we're I'll give you some specific numbers later, but basically the goal was how do I replace I had seven of these eight foot double units with so it's a total of sixteen bulbs themselves, but uh or I'm sorry, seven times two is fourteen uh bulbs and seven individual light units themselves. Okay. So uh I went to Home Depot and they had these nice four foot T eight units that contain four bulbs each, and I believe those ran me about fifty bucks a piece, and I just bought a Couple of cases of lights. I think the bulbs themselves run about six or seven dollars each for the T8 bulbs, and man, big big difference. I mean, it's it's much brighter. Um, The options for different warmth and different uh, color levels in each uh, bulb—they seem to have nicer options in the T8s than they did in the regular T12s, at least at my Home Depot. Um, And I went for the best ones that they had. And I got to tell you, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it right. Um, The interesting thing was. Big difference because I did buy a couple of the cheaper ones to see what the difference was. When mm. I first installed it, it looked very odd. The light was like a bright blue. It was it was just really weird. It looked very <laughs> un, unnatural to me, which was contrary to what the damn box said. Because the box said it was you know for more color accuracy, you go with this one. So after I got used to it, what what I started to realize is that the reason it was weird was because it was so different than what I was used to. Not that it was bad; it was just different, right? Um, but what it actually was was it it looked more like there was a skylight open on the ceiling as opposed to a fluorescent fixture so oh, the more yeah. yeah so the more I got used to it the more I realized you know what this looks like natural sunlight this doesn't look like you know the crappy yellow light that comes out of most fluorescent bulbs so anyway that that's just kind of a little uh, thing that we did, and and it was an incredible uh, upgrade as far as the amount of light that we see, and it's the same the same wattage. I actually calculated it out, and we're using the same amount of watts, even though we're using double the number of bulbs. Uh, it's the same watts, and we're actually getting more light uh, per unit out of it. So it's definitely a good upgrade.
0: Definitely, yeah. Because that's with the ones I had, I, I know I just recently had to replace them, and I think I kind of came across that same like you know why why is this blue am i not getting enough oxygen what the hell's going on here <laughs> you know that kind of a thing and it's in the, the lights i have the one complaint i have is i have to have been in the shop or i have to be in the shop at least a minimum of half an hour before they they completely warm up
1: uh, so you
0: know and that really bites when you're like trying to like match up like color you know colors of wood so it's like yep. okay i'm gonna make this tabletop and i want everything to, well this doesn't look right what's going on here and then finally it does warm up and i'm oh, crap, I already cut that one down. (laughs) What the heck's going on here? Well, that's
1: that's actually another key feature of these lights is they turn on instantly. There's no delay in cold weather, uh, and uh, there's no hum either.
0: Oh, that'd be nice too, because that's one of those irritating. It's like you get done, and I can't tell if I, my ears ringing because of the tools or yeah. what, what. What's that background noise? <laughs>
1: it's one of those low, those low level background noises that you will get used to eventually. But the fact that you get used to it is actually bad because yeah, it said it's it's bad for your hearing. So, um, but yeah, Absolutely. just a just a little primer on that. But it was it's a good move. Highly recommend it, and don't be. Uh, shocked by the bluish cast of those higher grade lights, you will like it if if you convert completely to that type of bulb. You're going to like the results.
0: Sweet, I'm going to have to definitely look into that. Yeah, because I I do need more lighting because I have those areas that it's like yeah the dead zone basically. Uh huh. You know yep. that's just that's not good, especially when you're working with a power tool and you're like, well, am I on the surface? Am I not? What the hell's going on?
1: Exactly. So, cool. Exactly. Now um, you mentioned uh, earlier, you said something about um, yeah, I was just going to say, Mark, for a joiner. I joiner.
0: Yeah, I was I was just gonna say, Mark, I might be in the market for a joiner, uh-huh. and um, I want to know your opinion on this because down in the basement workshop here, I've uh, I've mentioned this before. I I just use my my hand plane as a joiner. I have a large uh, twenty-two inch number seven, which gives me these beefy muscular arms that I have here, <laughs> but I'm definitely thinking I want to step up. But I'm kind of tossed between, you know, I've got the money for a six inch now. But I'm not too far away from an eight-inch that I, I've kind of had my eye on a little bit. Which one would you prefer? I, I, you know, since I don't have one right now, I'm kind of thinking, well, which way should I go? Do you have any recommendations?
1: Um, I do. Um, I actually have had a six-inch for a few years now, and it, it's it's definitely adequate. It certainly gets the job done. And anything that was wider than a six-inch board, you just got to find other creative ways to do that. And um, you could see episode dang it that would have sounded so smooth if I remembered that <laughs> what episode is it it's it's called the joiners jumping I just can't remember oh, yeah. the number and I, I covered some uh, different milling techniques and things especially if you're confronted with a six inch joiner and you got an eight inch board for an example mm-hmm. um, what I would say is like I said I I, I did have a, a six inch joiner for a long time and now I have a, a I just got a eight inch jointer Ooh. and I have to say that I really do think the best bang for your buck uh, is the eight inch jointer now it the cost between a 6 and an 8 inch in the same brand, you know, same quality level is so minimal that it's it really is worth it. Now, when you jump from an 8 inch to say a 10 or a 12, that jump is is huge. It's a massive jump. So you want to make sure that you you get the most bang for your buck and I think an 8 inch does that for you. Um, Now, an 8 inch will also open up, it'll actually just make things a lot easier. I don't know about you, but when I get my lumber, most of the time, it's somewhere between, I don't know, maybe five and eight inches wide. Mm-hmm. Very, like, very rarely do I find something wider than eight inches or less than four. So for me, I mean, if you can get a, a joiner that covers you up to eight inches, you're actually going to be able to to work a lot more smooth. You won't have to to rip the boards down to narrower boards, uh, which is what you might wind up doing if you're. You know, let's say you're making a tabletop and all your boards are seven inches, right? And you want to get them all jointed and planed down. What are you going to do about that extra inch? You know, I hope you're not going to trim it off and just lose it. Um, so if you get an eight inch, you can trim them all down, get them all nice and square, glue it up, and 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 not have to actually rip your boards down to fit on your joiner. So, um, like I said, the price differential is is pretty minimal between six and eight. Absolutely, hands down, I would say you should go for the eight inch. Okay, cool. And That's by I- the way. And by the way, I just want to say, go for a Powermatic. Oh, Powermatic! I think I've heard of them before. For uh, no no particular reason, just oh, okay. go for them.
0: Uh, I'll put them down. No, if I mention Mark the Wood Whisperer, we get
1: no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, truth, truth, truthfully, the uh, Powermatic is is a good brand, and I've I've been a Powermatic fan well before they were a sponsor. But obviously, there's a lot of good brands out there. I've heard um the a lot of people have some luck with uh with the Grizzly uh units, and and they're very reasonably priced.
0: Yep, that's actually one that I kind of had my eye on. There's just something about a big teddy bear on the front cover that just really kind of pulls it out. But yeah, <laughs> the, the the eight inch. I, the main reason I was thinking about that is like you had said, I, I've I've had that same thing. I go to the the uh, the lumber uh, supplier, and that's what exactly it. In fact, actually, I have this one board that. I didn't even know trees like this existed anymore. I mean, it's it's just a simple slab of pine, basically. But this uh, thing has got to be at least almost 15 inches. And I'm like, that's bigger than the rack that I have it on right now. I think I have to have, have supports underneath it holding it up. Wow, and yeah. I haven't used it yet simply because of the fact that I'm in awe of this plank. It's just insane.
1: Yeah. Uh, you'd you know? hate to even, even touch it at this point. You just want
0: to find exactly. the perfect
1: project for it.
0: Exactly, because in the rough state I'm looking at it, I'm like, I would not want to have to rip this down, and then, and plus on top of it, having to rip down a wider board, you're actually almost, if you think about it, doubling your work because you're going to have, you know, two faces now that you have to plane, and then you've got, you know, two edges, and then you take them over to the thickness planer, and then you've got a couple more going on, so yeah. if you can eliminate that one step and maybe go with the wider or the larger jointer, you know, you really are maybe saving yourself a couple extra steps there, so...
1: Cool. Yeah, it's and it's it's either more work or it's going to be wasteful. You know, one or the other and and the less work you have to do and the more wood you could save, uh a table looks better if it's, you know, constructed of 7-inch boards than it does if it's constructed of 6-inch boards. It just looks to me, at least in my opinion, uh it's better because there's less joints to to contend with. So Absolutely.
0: Uh, absolutely. 8-inch. Cool. In that case, I'm going to go tell my wife right now that Mark said that I can get the 8-inch and she can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it right. was nice hey. talking to you. <laughs> hey, if, she, if
1: she's got a problem, have her give me a call and uh, I will promptly act like I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. That, that's that's usually
0: what I do. I play
1: dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have the possum. The possum technique works really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, totally. All right, so, man. Cool. Well, I think we, we definitely have uh, hit our mark. I, I, I like aiming for the 40, 45-minute time frame. Absolutely. Pretty close it, to that.
0: Yeah, we we don't feel rushed, and we seem to cover enough issues. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think this is a great one. And I think the listeners, are, are you guys out there, gals, too? Um If you are, you know, you can... Obviously, send us an email, and we could maybe uh, read a few of them online like we did with these ones and try to answer them. Uh, Mark, what's what's that email?
1: It is the Wood Whisper. Oh, no. It's oh. actually uh, – <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> bad habit, bad habit. It's uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, two things real quick. I just remembered. I did want to mention – Uh, I got an awesome link from uh, David. He sent uh, this basically a follow up to our conversation about again about pricing. Okay, Um, it's a very cool link to a online estimate calculator, project calculator thing that helps you through the estimate process. And you literally are uh, checking check boxes and just filling in some blanks. And this uh, sweet little program actually, um, you know, will will do a lot of the work for you. Uh, Let me give you the address here. Uh, It's Um, let's see, what is it? It's bridgewooddesign.com and that's B-R-I-D-G-E-W-O-O-D-D-E-S-I-G-N bridgewooddesign.com slash estimator slash index dot HTM. I'm sure if you just put slash estimator that'll get you there. Um, I think it's the same company, I don't know if you've used the program that makes Cutlist Pro or Cutlist. Yep. Um, and I, I've messed around with that program a few times, mm-hmm. but it's it's the same company that makes that program, and uh, I did a few samples, and it actually is pretty darn good, so I, I highly recommend that to people. Sweet. Um, and the second thing I just wanted to mention is that speaking of emails and the the Wood Talk online at gmail.com deal, um, we're getting a lot of emails, and I know you and I both um, address a lot of emails directly on our Wood Whisperer and uh, Matt's Basement Workshop website, so um, honestly, it's- it's almost more than we can handle at this point to actually respond to every single person. So I still respond to everybody that writes me at the Wood Whisperer just because it's part of my daily routine. And same with Um, with
0: my show also just to throw that into. Yep. Right.
1: And it's just becoming seeing the the influx of email coming into Wood Talk online. I don't want to discourage people from, write, from writing to us, but at the same time, we may not be able to get to everybody's question directly. And we certainly will be using those as the material for the show. So please keep on sending the emails, but please you know don't be discouraged if you don't hear a direct response from us, but we will try to respond to as many as we
0: can. Right. And if you hear from us three months after you send it, well, we're still working through. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, it may It may get to that point, uh, the way things are going now. It's getting pretty popular, and we are getting closer and closer. I think based on the f- response from the first show we're getting pretty darn close to starting up a whole separate website with an rss feed um it's just going to make the most sense so people can have show notes and things to refer to. absolutely
0: yeah because with these links and everything and actually that that link that you said that david said i'll put that on my show notes also or on, yeah, at my website and everything i'll make sure that goes in there too because that's that, that yeah, a too. great one um yeah and I, I definitely think even if we just give you just a quick hi we got your email thanks and that that may, may be about it that kind of a thing we we definitely mm-hmm. we i mean i find myself going through these constantly i'm not supposed to be on the internet when i'm at work but you know it's there so um <laughs> right exactly i can't help but you know see what these things are coming in because i love seeing some of these ideas so definitely yep,
1: definitely a lot of good stuff yeah
0: so keep sending those in and of course the email address is uh woodtalkonline at gmail.com and just you know drop us a line with a with a question and everything and you know if it's a good one we'll, we'll definitely use it if not we'll point and laugh and send it to each other
1: (laughs) (laughs) which we which we usually do with most of them right yeah (laughs) okay well I guess uh, until next time uh, we both have some work to do so definitely uh, adios adios muchachos
0: Ah, ah, si si, senor (laughs) right. well take care everybody I'll be talking to you take care
1: bye Yep. bye bye